Well, it's a joy to welcome everybody back. This is George Miley. We are continuing our journey through a series of teachings under the overall category of maturing toward wholeness in the inner life. And in this time together, we find ourselves thinking about the activity of solitude. And in the last chapter, we talked about spiritual disciplines, activities that we freely choose to undertake, activities that we learn from Jesus and our spiritual fathers and mothers, activities that help us, assist us, enable us to come into the presence of God and to live there. And as in this session, we talk about solitude, we're talking about one of these activities. So we're kind of going into one of the spiritual activities or spiritual disciplines in more depth. So we have here a subtitle or a description of solitude. What do we mean by solitude or what is the value of solitude? How might we phrase solitude in other words? Solitude is ushering my soul into the healing silences of God. Ushering my soul into the healing silences of God. Now, what is a silence of God? Well, it is a silence that I choose, that I undertake for the purpose of being with my Father. That's my purpose for doing it. I want to be with him. And I'm aware that I'm distracted and surrounded by all kinds of activity and noise and other things that distract me from his presence. And all that's a part of normal life. But I also can choose to come away from that into silence in order to be with him, in order to hear him, in order to know him better. And the one result of entering into silence for the purpose of being with God is that I am healed. So these are healing silences of God. Being with God results in healing. How am I healed? I come into the presence of God and learn to live there. And being with him, I'm healed. I can expect at some point in life to long to go deeper with God. You know, if I look back over my life, there have been so many periods where I haven't really longed to be with God. I've been busy with what I wanted to do, and I have found what I thought was pleasure in doing it all, and I was what I thought was a good Christian. I had my daily devotional time. It wasn't as though I was involved in any kind of anti-God activity. But as I look back on it, I was satisfied with a pretty superficial knowledge of God. And then the time came in my life when the hunger to go deeper with God just intensified. But I found that I needed help in that process. It wasn't enough for me to just say, oh, gee, I want to go deeper with God. I needed, to ha I needed help. How do I do that? Solitude offers all of us a time-tested way. 
What I have experienced in life with God may have left me empty and unfulfilled. How would you describe your life experience? How would you describe your Christian life experience? Would you describe it as vital? Would you describe it as okay? Would you describe it as unfulfilling, confusing, even empty? Would you identify unwanted behaviors that you find yourself, we find ourselves unable to change? In solitude, I withdraw for a time. What do I withdraw from? Social contact, physical movements, and sounds, except perhaps for the gentle sounds of nature. It is so amazing to experience how healing nature can be. Why is that? Why is going into nature so appealing, so healing? Nature is not in rebellion against its creator. The world of human beings in which we are submersed is a world that's in rebellion against its creator. When we go into nature, that's not the case. Sometimes the gentle sounds of nature can be in themselves very healing. I withdraw for a time, and I offer my time and myself to God as a gift of love. So as I choose to go into solitude, as I choose to withdraw, I say to my Father, Father, I give this time to you. I'm doing this because I want to be with you. And your word tells me you want to be with me, but I haven't been paying attention. I haven't been available to you in the way that I would like to be. And so I want to withdraw. I want to create this time of solitude. And I want to offer it to you as an act of love. Waiting in quietness and stillness, my soul comes to rest. Brothers and sisters, our souls need rest. And waiting in God's presence, our souls can come to rest. And beyond rest, our souls can achieve and experience a new level of clarity, understanding, insight. He who spends a life in the presence of God gets a heart of wisdom. For millennia, solitude and silence have shaped the lives of our fathers and mothers in the Judeo-Christian faith. So what we're talking about here is not anything new, although we live in a day when some are discovering it anew. But silence has permeated the experience of our fathers and mothers throughout Judeo-Christian history, and we're going to be giving some examples. Let's start with Moses. God took Moses from Pharaoh's court and formed him 40 years in the desert. What was that like for Moses? He grew up for 40 years in Pharaoh's court, got the best education available in his day, was right near the center of 
power throughout the earth. And then all of a sudden he found himself in the desert. And I can imagine that Moses thought, well, life is over. That was it. I had my 40 years in Pharaoh's court, and now I'm just out here in this desert tending sheep. But the fact of the matter is that God was forming in the desert one of history's most influential figures. Boy, if you think, let's make a list of the leaders in history that have had the most influence. Moses would have to be a candidate. Being still before God can feel like a waste of time. Oh, what am I doing here? I'm, I'm just not doing anything, just sitting here. I've got so much to do. Compulsivity to achieve is driven by an unmet need to be loved. Why is abiding in God's presence so healing? Because the root wound that each of us has is we have been separated from the love for which we were created, namely the love of our Father. How did we get separated from that love? Through our own choice. He didn't go away. Our Father didn't go away. We went away. It was our decision. And one of the consequences of that, perhaps the main consequence, is that we were separated from the love for which we were created and which we so desperately need. And so busyness, compulsivity to achieve and to do this and to do that and the other is actually an expression, an attempt to cover up, an attempt to meet the emptiness caused by that unmet need to be loved. What we need is to hear the voice of our Father saying, George, I love you, and know it is the voice of our Father. Judeo-Christian history shows that ones who have been with God, although not motivated by achievement, have led amazingly influential lives. Oh, brothers and sisters, look at the record. Look at the record. Each of us has the need to be significant. We are created with significance. We are created in the image of our Father, created to have dominion with him, to rule with him. So we are created for significance. Our alienation, our rebellion against our Father has robbed us of the capacity to be truly significant. And so we try to fill it with this activity and that activity, this striving and that striving. And so often lives that are spent in striving and activity, working harder, sleeping less, working harder, end up in a train wreck. Study the lives of those who have been still before God and see the amazing influence that has come by being with God. So, a little bit about Moses. Let's talk about David. David's desert, quote-unquote, were the pasture lands tending the sheep. In stillness, God imparted to him the foundations of Judeo-Christian worship, the Psalms. You know, it's amazing if you trace Judeo-Christian worship for 3,000 years. 
a foundation of Judeo worship, a foundation of Christian worship is the Psalms. And we get more Psalms from David than anybody else. Where did he get the wisdom? Where did he get the insight? Where did he get the creativity to create all these uh, Psalms? And of course, one inescapable proof of great art is it gets repeated. It's not forgotten. Future generations find beauty and meaning and power in it as well. And the Psalms have endured um, for 3,000 years and are vitally alive today. How did all that happen? A key influence, a key component of that happening was what David experienced in the pasture lands with his father. Another example, Elijah, formed in hiddenness. You know, I love the fact that in 1 Kings 17, we meet Elijah for the first time. And Elijah just kind of emerges out of nowhere. Where did this Elijah come from? And Elijah just emerges and says, God has told me that there will not be dew nor rain on the earth except by my word. Wow. What if, if somebody said that today, we would immediately think that they must be nuts to say such a thing. So God had entrusted to Elijah this awesome spiritual authority. And by the way, we see in the scriptures, the prophets come forward, particularly in times of political evil. So Elijah was called by God in the context of Ahab, perhaps the most evil of all of Israel's kings. God calls Elijah, gives him awesome spiritual authority. And what is the next thing he do with Elijah? Sends Elijah out into the desert. So God entrusted to Elijah unusual spiritual authority. Elijah, this one prophet, this one man, was used to turn Israel from entrenched apostasy. Another example, John the Baptist. Luke 180, John the Baptist was in the wilderness until his public appearance to Israel. Here's the one that God said he would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. The forerunner of the Messiah in the wilderness until his public appearance to Israel. He catalyzed a powerful movement. His only resource, God's hand upon him. You know, people went out from Jerusalem, went out from Judea, went out from all the places to be baptized by John. He didn't have any organization. He didn't have any money. He didn't have a marketing department. He didn't have an internet website. All he had was the authority and anointing of God on his life, formed in silence, formed in the wilderness. Talk about influence. And then there's Jesus. Like John, Jesus spent his formative years away from the limelight. You know, Mary knew who Jesus was. Jesus knew who Jesus was. And there is Mary. You know, she watches Jesus become 21. He's working in the carpenter shop. She's wondering, you know, when is he going to make himself known? He, she watches him become 25. He's working in the carpenter shop. When is he going to make himself known? He, she watches him become 28. He's working in the carpenter shop. She's thinking, you know, when is he going to make himself known? And then there's the marriage in Cana. 
And she says to him, they don't have any wine. And Jesus says to her, my time is not yet come. And yet, it did appear that right after that, his time had come. So Jesus, roughly his first 30 years in obscurity, what was going on? The scriptures tell us he learned obedience. Jesus, the humanity of Jesus was being formed in solitude. Jesus regularly retreated into solitude, emerged from ministry, then withdrew back into solitude. Before choosing the twelve, he spent the night in prayer. To prepare for his greatest trial, Jesus withdrew to the stillness of the garden. He knew his greatest need was to be with his Father. How did Jesus prepare for the cross? He withdrew into the garden. He needed to be with his Father. Then the example of Paul, confronted by Christ on the road to Damascus, he had much healing and reforming to work through. God led him into the Arabian desert. Can you imagine what Paul had to rework? I mean, here he was, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, persecuting the church. And all of a sudden, Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and his life was transformed, and he had to rework his theology. And he had to undergo significant healing, and he had to undergo significant new insight. Where did God take him to give him all of this? The Arabian Desert. Later in life, forced by imprisonment to set aside his intense activity, Paul accomplished his most fruitful and enduring work, his writings. So think about it. What did it feel like for Paul to be in prison? What did it feel like for his co-workers for him to be in prison? It must have felt, oh, this is not from the Lord. This is from the devil. Here is Paul. He can't preach. He can't move. He can't start churches. He can't help churches. Here he is in prison. And yet from prison, his most enduring ministry took place, his writings. And then a final example, we could be give, here all day giving examples, Anthony of Egypt. In the third and fourth centuries, believers faced a violent, hedonistic culture. What about the culture of our day? Any similarities with Rome? The Roman culture that Anthony and his Colleague's face was one of violence and hedonism. And Anthony decided and committed himself, I'm not going to let this culture form me. Anthony and his friends withdrew in solitude to the deserts of Egypt, Syria, and Palestine, seeking intimacy with God and knowledge of his ways. Crowds went out. Reminds me of John the Baptist. Crowds went out seeking wisdom from Anthony and the desert fathers and mothers. Monasticism, one of history's most transforming movements, was born. Anthony and his companions were heirs to the apostolic legacy of John the Beloved. You know, John's apostolic legacy was different than Paul's. Paul's activity, church planting. John, the apostle of the contemplative life.
John, the disciple that leaned on Jesus' breast. And it has been said of John, he who leans on Jesus' breast hears the heart of God. Let's pray together. Father, we are hungry for you. We are surrounded by busyness, demands, people, movements. Teach us, Father, the way of withdrawal into solitude and silence that we might hear the voice of God. We love you. We need you. Speak your word to us. Teach us your ways. We pray our Father in Jesus' name. Amen.